This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Halloween's played out. We already talked about that. That's last week. That's, that's Let's talk about turkeys. Game. Talk about, well, tur- Thanksgiving is a dumb holiday. No, it's not. What are you talking about? It's dumb. It's turkeys, food the, the holiday. Turkey's dry and oh, cranberry geez. sauce is bleh, whatever. And like, oh. I can be thankful for stuff on my own time. I don't need, I don't need the man telling oh. me when to be thankful for things. Oh, man. I don't need the man getting all up in my face and be like, here, eat the stuffing. I don't disagree with you so fervently on much, but Thanksgiving is the best. Thanksgiving is a nothing holiday between Halloween and Christmas. That's not true. It was invented by card companies. That's okay, Charlie Brown. To fill the gap. I'm just doubling down on my position now. I'm digging in. I don't even, like, I feel nothing about Thanksgiving. Trolls are thankful for nothing. Welcome to Overdue. This is a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. I was going to suggest talking about the time change because it gets dark at 5.30 now, but... Well, let's no, talk about that you got mad about the Thanksgiving you thing. You got mad about the Thanksgiving thing, so let's talk about that. Let's just talk about how good food is and how fun it is to get together with people and make food together, and then you eat it, and then you're drunk, and then you go to sleep, and then it's Black Friday, and you're not a crazy person who goes shopping, so you just relax. You just read stories on the internet about how people got trampled fighting over Xboxes. I don't read those stories, because those are depressing, and it's Thanksgiving, not depress-giving. Technically, it's a day after Thanksgiving. Let's talk. Okay, now now we're on the Black Friday thing. Let's talk about how Black Friday's taken over the entire. Like, I think Amazon does like a Black Friday week now or something. I got an email today that from an art print website that said you just saved an hour. That means you have an extra hour on our Halloween sale. Oh no! What? That's not every day is a is a call to cyber action. If you go to Amazon.com right now, in the upper right corner of the site, there is a link to Holiday Toy List Daily Deals, sponsored by Skylanders. <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's better than their Halloween store, where you could go and like the front page of it was a bunch of adult minion costumes. I think it's better than that. Well, that was working, because I saw at least four of those. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Minions were out in full force. Andrew, we read books on this show. Well, we sometimes read them on air. Sometimes we read them and then come and talk about them. What book did you read this week for us? I read Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights. So we're going with the Bronte pronunciation this week. I'm going to go with Bronte. I will try not to say Bronte, but I can't promise anything. I was reading that... Um, the little double, you know, the umlaut thing over the e. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's called an umlaut. What maybe it's like an mlaut when it's on an e. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that makes so much. It sense. doesn't. It it doesn't affect the pronunciation. It's just there to signify that you're supposed to pronounce it. 
Oh, that instead of it being silent. like a silent E. So it's not like Emily Bront. Hello, my name is Emily Bront. <laughs> so we have talked about Anne Bronte before, right? Yes, this is our second time going to the Bronte well. And um, our episode on Tenant of Wildfell Hall, which I liked quite a bit in retrospect, is uh, where you should go if you want some in-depth discussion. Episode of the 116, I believe. Right. The family and the sister's... And their whole whole relationship. What you should know about Emily is that she only wrote one book and it was Wuthering Heights. Uh, There were rumors that a second manuscript was being worked on. I think there was a letter from her publisher. Yes. That implied as much. But if if that was in the works, it has not survived. Um, We have some poems that she wrote about Gondol. Yeah. a, A fictional island. Yeah, there's that like a she whole... and that she and Anne, I think, worked on primarily. It's like a whole thing. First thing, in, it's these fantasy worlds. They invented uh, Angria and then Gondol, perhaps some others. Uh, this is in the mid 19th century. Um, Emily was born in 1818. I yes. think uh, she died in 1848. 1848. So their brother, Patrick Branwell Bronte, uh, brought home like a bunch of toy soldiers and things. And they used them to create these elaborate little fantasy worlds and and wrote poems about them and told stories about them. And I was poking around on the internet and some people were not so subtly suggesting that this was a precursor to D&D, which I thought was kind of great. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Lord of the Rings is clearly the precursor to D&D, but I... You know, things can draw from multiple sources. Well, this may have been the precursor to Lord of the Rings in terms of realizing a world through lore. Yeah, right. Like it's it's I think. Did you know anybody in high school who was kind of weird, who had notebooks (laughs) and notebooks full of like details that they had written about their own like little world with like characters and and stuff in it like did you know anybody who did that sort of thing in their free time because i did and okay is the answer to your is the answer to your story that's not a question you because the answer to mine is me (laughs) like you did that yeah why well sort of what else are you gonna do do with your time you're gonna like hang around and invent collectible card games for no one i'm gonna play super mario 3 in high school eh, there were maybe, newer super mario like, maybe it's mario 64 by high school i don't know at that point you have fallen so far down the rabbit hole of other people's games that the that the only logical next step is to make your own mm-hmm. so you spend a lot of time making rules that are not balanced and coming up with characters that make no sense and writing them down on note cards with the intent of giving them to other people to use for a game that you've made up. Okay, so tell me more about Craig the Gathering, which is the <laughs> game that, which is what I'm going to call the game that you're proposing right now. I think there were robots involved, <laughs> and I think the robots had various attributes and abilities. Uh, mm. There was no art, though, because I am not an artiste. So <laughs> you had to imagine it all with your mind um, mm-hmm. and lined notebook cards. Imagination is is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I can't. I never got to play test it though. So if uh, anybody wants to go about fifteen years in the past and play test my CCG with me, that would be really fun. Craig the Gathering, Craig as we've dubbed it. Um, yeah, Emily Bronte was uh, 
she was published under the name of Ellis Bell originally. That was mm-hmm. her pen name. And then uh, Charlotte Bronte was Currer Bell and Anne was Acton Bell. Yes. And of course, they wrote under male names because they figured it would uh, it would make people take them more seriously, which because this is the mid 19th century was correct. <laughs> yes. Uh, was this book published under Ellis first? It was published under Ellis first. Okay. In like the first edition. And then there was a second edition published by Charlotte shortly after she died um, that was credited to Emily Bronte. So it's it's not it's not a uh, I don't know. It's not like a George Eliot sort of situation no. where the where the pen name survived for a long time or like is the one that we primarily know the author by still no it was with yeah. you know with what would have been within her lifetime mm-hmm. had, had well had she had a that's what a i mean yeah. lifetime of of normal length uh she she got i we're gonna talk about how sick people got okay how easily a little bit later because it plays into this book but she caught a cold which I mean, it's. I think she actually caught like tuber- tuberculosis, but people just kind of thought that everything was a cold or like consumption or something. She caught a what eventually killed her at her brother Branwell's funeral, mm-hmm. and within three months she had wasted away and died. Yeah, pretty quickly compared to other relatives that had died of the same disease. Yeah, and uh, I think Anne died not that long after. I believe that's true, though I encourage you to fact check it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, she uh, Anne died in May of uh, 1849. So, yeah, Charlotte lost a lot of family members within like a year or two of each other. So that that must have been kind of rough. And, of course, there were the two older Bronte sisters who died in childhood. So, yeah, people were not really great at medicine and health and stuff. Like, I think that the place where they lived the water like came downstream from a cemetery or something. And it's just, yeah, I believe it's not, it's not sanitary. Yeah. It's there's some great. scholarship on, on Emily even saying that she felt that they were in an area that was not conducive to people being healthy. Um, Obviously. Yeah. And, and also you have the kind of burgeoning industrial revolution, which I don't know if that's like explicitly talked about in this book but i know in some of the little reading that i've done i have not read this book but a little bit of the prep i was trying to do talked about like people in the modern world and and how it affected their behavior wuthering heights actually has essentially nothing to do with the industrial revolution or even the civilized world like almost a hundred percent of the action takes place in two houses that are in kind of this out of the way corner of England. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Thrushcross Grange is one, and then Wuthering Heights, the titular Wuthering Heights, is the other house. Huh. Yeah. And they are, they are like four miles distant from each other, so you can see one from the other, like at night when the lights are on. But they're like completely removed from society. Right. And they're, I mean, there's like a village that they're near that I, the name escapes me at the moment. But, um, okay. It's, it's, it's telling that the name escapes me because that tells you how important it is to the story. <laughs> like it's really, it's really not. Okay. Um, so where do you want to start? We could start with what the heck is this book about, or what did you th- think the book was going to be about when you started reading it, or before you started reading it? I had no idea what it was going to be about, but we've read enough books from this time period that I figured it was going to be a lot of 
a lot of concern about who's going to be married to who and like a lot of a lot of time spent on action that wasn't really like super actiony. Okay. So like people sitting around and talking about stuff that happened to them basically. <laughs> so not on, a Schwarzenegger movie. Yeah, right. Okay. On on that front, though I would watch Arnold Schwarzenegger as Heathcliff <laughs> in an a, an adaptation of Wuthering Heights. Okay. I would watch him as Heathcliff in an adaptation of Heathcliff the Cat. Ooh. Like voicing Heathcliff or like a live action like Garfield movie kind of Yes, thing? live action. Yes. Oh no. Uh-huh. I'm on board. Uh, Bill Murray is not available. So no. Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so what it what is happening in this book? If I that's what you expected, is that what you found? Yeah, pretty much. Let's talk let's talk about the structure a bit first. Oh, please. Like uh like Wildfell Hall, a lot of this book is told. Like you have this narrator or like person who like a fake protagonist, I guess, who you get introduced to at the beginning. And then a lot of the story is told to you through somebody who's telling a story to them. Who is the narrator? Uh, The narrator is this guy named Lockwood, who is a renting Thrushwood Grange from a guy named Heathcliff. Mm -hmm. Um, He goes down to call on Heathcliff. Just to like like as a social visit because these houses are kind of out of the way and there's nobody else to talk to. And he figures, let's go get to know the landlord. <laughs> okay. And so he meets Heathcliff, who doesn't seem super eager to take in visitors. And also uh, the woman of the house, uh, Catherine, and this other guy named Hareton, who seems kind of like a servant or kind of like a member of the family. It's It's a weird dynamic. Okay, that's going on over there. So he goes over and he chills for a while, and and Heathcliff tells him, "Hey, you know we don't like visitors that much. Like it's cool if you don't come over." <laughs> and Lockwood is like, "You know, I I think I am gonna go back over there." So he goes back over a second time in a snowstorm, gets snowed in, and then like whines a lot about how poor the accommodations are. Okay. Which I mean, this this is only the first couple chapters of the book where you're really dealing with Lockwood at all. But he comes off as kind of a wiener. <laughs> okay, like he goes back to a place that where clearly he's not like he will. They'll welcome him because those are just like what you did when you had a caller come over is you just like barely tolerated them and gave them tea or whatever. But uh huh. I don't know. It. I just. I was struck funny. Man, by... anybody can come and hang out at my house because I like people a lot. But house guests are the worst. Am I right? We've had people over three weekends in a row, and I love y'all. But like, get out, go away. <laughs> I've got to like swiffer the floor every time I want people to come over. <laughs> and you got to swiffer again when they leave because they just rolled around on the floor. Uh, that's all they they come over and they roll around. They don't even talk to you, and then they leave. And oh, this floor is so uneven. These accommodations are terrible. Jerks. Jerks. Okay, so um, but you said that Lockwood is, isn't even like the main character, right? So he goes back home and he gets sick because he was an idiot walking around in a snowstorm. Reasonable. I've done that. And so he's talking to uh, Nelly, Nelly Dean. The 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 rapper from St. Louis. Yes. No, the housekeeper at Thrushcross Grange. Okay, and he's and he knows she's been with the family for a while, I guess. And so he's he's like, you know, what's the what's the deal with these people? I got kind of a weird vibe over there. And also, I'm sick and I got nowhere to go. So like, 
Tell me a story. This is the setup of Ethan Frome. This is like, I'm not, I can't like remember a, which like came a first. Princess Bride sort of thing. But it's like, like, I'm new to town. Those people are weird. Tell me about those weirdos. And What's so going on over there? The whole rest of the book is told from Nellie to Lockwood. You occasionally mm-hmm. cut back mm-hmm. over to Lockwood. For humorous repartee? Not even humorous repartee. It's just like sometimes you were reminded that this is a big framing <laughs> device for this book. And then okay. it's weird because like Nellie will relay stories from other people. So sometimes you're like a couple layers deep. Oh, yeah. I, I love that frame stuff. thing. It's kind of oh, cool. I love it. Yeah, I, th- I think at the time, especially people were impressed slash confused by, <laughs> by the structure. Well, it's interesting because I, w- I would say like maybe... 80 episodes ago we were deep in epistolary novels like every novel every oh, yeah. other novel we read yeah. was a that was series the big, of letters the big vocab word you need to know <laughs> for like the first 50 episodes of the show is epistolary and now we're we're deep into 19th century novels where someone asks what's up with the people next door and so well let me tell you about let it me for tell 40 you about chapters <laughs> the story begins 30 years ago uh, all right, so let's flash back. Okay, great. Uh, we are about 30 years before the action of the first part of the book. Uh, Wuthering Heights is owned by this dude named Mr. Earnshaw. Okay. And he comes back from a business trip in Liverpool, I think, with a uh, quote-unquote dark-skinned gypsy boy. Who? <sighs> who uh, he has taken a shine to, and he names Heathcliff. Okay. Um, Earnshaw's son, Hindley, becomes jealous of Heathcliff because Heathcliff has his father's affections. And uh, Catherine, who's kind of a wild child, uh, his uh, Earnshaw's daughter, Catherine, takes a liking to Heathcliff, and they become friends, and they go adventuring all over the place, and they are very much like cut from the same cloth. Okay. Uh, so Earnshaw dies, like you uh, do. and Hindley becomes in charge of Wuthering Heights. Uh, he comes back from college with a wife who dies a couple years after, but you know before that happens, she has this son named Harriton. Uh, Hindley still hates Heath- Heathcliff, but lets him stay on kind of as a servant. So they're all still chilling in Wuthering Heights. And you just have to assume that as I go on with my synopsis that time is passing. Great. So they're all children at the beginning of this flashback and then now they are No, they're of, still children in charge of Wuthering Heights. Yeah, Jim Henson's Wuthering Heights babies. <laughs> I'm going to make you my servant baby and I'm going to come back from baby college with a wife who died. Oh, and yeah. then I opened the closet and there was Star Wars in there. Oh no. <laughs> I think that's why they have such trouble releasing Muppet Babies, like on DVD, is they can't get all those expensive Star Wars clips anymore. I forgot about that whole part of Muppet Babies. They did it all the time. Oh, man. Great. Make your dreams come true. (laughs) I'll do the same for you. Um, All right. So Catherine and Heathcliff are still pals. They're spying on the Linton, the Lintons yeah. at Thrushcross Grange, which, as I mentioned, is the house sort of across the the land. Across and that's the... where Nellie works? Yeah. Okay. Well, I... In the present tense, right? Nellie, I, th- Nellie, I think, attends to 
Catherine. Okay. At at Wuthering Heights, and then she goes to Thrushcross Grange with Catherine for reasons that will become clear in a moment. Okay, cool. Um, they get kind of caught spying, and they try to run away. Heathcliff gets away, but Catherine gets bit by one of their dogs, and they like take her in, to, you know, while she can heal, so she can heal. And while she's there, and I think she's there for four or five weeks, uh, she kind of picks up their refined manners, and like they're they're cut from a higher cloth. I guess and okay more polite because yeah like Hindley after his wife died like he gets way into alcoholism like like so many people in Bronte books do mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's not like a great influence so stuff at Wuthering Heights is kind of uh not so great so and- are they they are upper class enough to own this estate one they never had to talk about like having to go to work so their work is one assumes that they are of the landed gentry sure but they they are not the dapperest folks in town no and they aren't even like in a town so well of course yes 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 just kind of live out by the moors crazy seems like a cool place to live okay um so while Catherine is convalescing yeah she picks up these these manners and she comes back to wuthering heights and kind of makes fun of heathcliff for being so rough around the edges and he gets embarrassed about this and he eventually runs away. Um, Catherine, while she was at Thrushcross Grange met Edgar Linton mm-hmm. who she gets married to. Heathcliff is not a big fan of him either because he secretly loves Catherine. Well, yeah. And she kind of loves him, but he's just like a gypsy boy and it wouldn't be super appropriate for her to get married to them. him. So they have kind of like a, unrequited love thing that they never really tell each other about but they they both kind of sense and there's other a whole bunch so of similar yeah there's a whole bunch of explicit reasons why they just shouldn't even try yeah like right. to call it a thing but they're yeah. going to be so friendly in the meantime yeah yeah okay so Catherine and edgar linton get married uh and they have and and nelly goes with them and they all live in Thrushcross grange and they're having a pretty good time for a while until Heathcliff comes back from wherever he's been, he's wealthy now and uh, has has polished up his manners a little bit. It's not ever. It's actually kind of it's it's made clear that nobody knows how Heathcliff got his money or his manners. They assume that maybe it was like military service. Interesting. Which seems like reasonable a good way. Which yeah, which like seemed like a good way for a guy, an able-bodied man, to go like earn some bucks. Is that is that doubt kind of useful and from a storytelling perspective though like the fact that they don't know does the, does the book just drop it or do they well, I mean, make it's, it something plays out of into that? like edgar continues to mistrust heathcliff even though he 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 eventually comes over and he 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 and catherine chill out because they were friends back in the day and edgar doesn't like him but he likes catherine and he wants to make her happy, and he knows that Heathcliff makes her happy, so he lets them be friends for a while. And it's the mystery around Heathcliff is narratively important only insofar as he always seems like kind of a fish out of water, or yeah, yeah, like like people who were born into this life never quite seem to trust him. Okay, is that the way that the book tells whole... you that? Is that how does how does the book kind of let you, the reader, know that he is? an outsider 
nobody likes him barely like Catherine is really the only Catherine and their dead dad is like the only people who like him like Kindley doesn't like him Edgar doesn't like him for any specific reason he's described as like dark-skinned and ill-tempered which back in the day I guess was as much a reason as you needed to hate somebody and he he just has kind of this grim countenance and he doesn't keep up with his education and there's this whole like nature versus nurture thing that I want to get into a little bit later. Okay, sure. Where where you're really like in this book everybody has kind of an an innate personality and they can try to improve upon it or like let it lapse into ruin like as they will, but it doesn't like people are people have a way that they are and they can't change it which i think is kind of interesting yeah i i read a little bit about they, they can like change it to a degree but they can't like overcome no you what they were born yeah you can't transform something. your essence um and there was i was doing a little bit of reading on emily bronte and and how much she liked nature and animals and kind of the some of the philosophy that might have driven came out of her as a naturalist and someone even went so far as to say that there are some really like great animalistic archetypes at all at the root of all of these characters and that kind of speaks to what you're oh, yeah. saying yeah that totally they, bet. i bet that's totally true that they are just kind of rooted in their essential qualities um and maybe don't have great capacity for change and that's seems to be bronte kind of putting humanity on the same spectrum as yeah. stuff like dogs it's, and it's and, like they they can change if they want to but dogs don't want to but, change right but but like they can only I guess we'll okay. I guess let's get into this now. Um, sure, why not? No, well, uh, shoot. No, no, no. I don't no, want to no, totally no, no, spoil. No, no. Okay, let's do it in okay. chronological order and just okay. remind me to come back to it later, especially uh, with respect to Heathcliff and Hareton. Great. Um, all right. So where were we? Uh, Edgar and Catherine and Heathcliff all have like maintained this sort of uneasy truce, and eventually, like Heathcliff. All right, Edgar has a sister, Isabella, who falls in love with Heathcliff because there's not there are not a lot of men around, and he's like one of them, and he's not attached, and because this is a 19th century novel, like, one of them has to fall in love with the other. Mm-hmm. So Heathcliff kind of hates her, like not just dislikes or is disinterested in it, disinterested in her, but actively hates her. But huh. to like get Edgar's goat. He sort of encourages her, her like besottedness. Oh, that's cool. Him, yeah. Like he's Heathcliff is a vengeful dude. Like he never, <laughs> he never forgets that Hindley was bad to him. He never forgets that Edgar did not like him. Like he's, he is. Yeah, this that's that's most of what drives his character is this like need for vengeance. For and how's Catherine taking all this? Like, do we do we? Are we on board with who she is? Is this mostly about how much of a bummer Heathcliff is right now? Catherine takes ill. Well, I mean, she... she be- All right. So Heathcliff and Edgar are in this fight. Like, part of it's over Isabella. Part of it's over Catherine because Heathcliff obviously has feelings for her. And Catherine goes into this, like, weird... She pitches a fit, basically, and then goes up to her room and locks herself in it for three days without eating. And from there, she gets sick mm-hmm. and she eventually dies. Now, before she dies, she gives birth to a daughter, 
Kathy. It is Edgar's daughter. It is not okay. Heathcliff's daughter. Just, okay. just so you know. Um, simultaneously, uh, Isabella runs away with Heathcliff. Regrets it almost instantly. <laughs> they get married, but she she realizes super quick that he does not like her. Uh oh. Uh, so he runs away from him to somewhere in southern England and gives birth to a son whose name is Linton. Uh, okay. Sometimes he's he's called like Linton Heathcliff. But um, yeah, the the names like the Linton is the surname of Edgar and Isabella, but it's the first name of this character. Is so he just say, trolling Edgar? Why would he do that? He didn't he didn't name. Is she? OK, well, she, it's her, yeah, okay, she, so she it's ran her. away. It's her. Okay, okay. It's her son. And he's raised as her son and then all right isabella dies names are the worst yeah names are the worst isabella <laughs> dies comes back up to Thrushcross grange where uh kathy uh all right so they're both named Catherine, Catherine um earnshaw and Catherine linton yes uh the book to make this a little bit easier usually calls Catherine earnshaw Catherine and Catherine linton kathy so sure. when i say kathy now i'm referring you to mean the daughter the younger yeah yeah okay so uh, Edgar is a like a single father, kind of making it work. Nellie's still there helping out. Uh, Kathy is a comely lass of like 16 or 17. Okay. Uh, Isabella dies. Linton comes to live with them. And after like a day, Heathcliff is like, hey, that's actually my kid. So he should come live with me at Wuthering Heights. Um, Hindley, who was the master of Wuthering Heights, got into a lot of debt because of gambling and the aforementioned alcoholism. He and Heathcliff kind of get in a fight. He dies later, I believe of the wounds that he sustained. And because he owed uh, Heathcliff money, Heathcliff has become the master of Wuthering Heights in the meantime. Sure. All right. So I know this is a lot of like names and, and stuff happening. So is there anything I need to clear up like before we proceed? I like, don't do you know generally where characters are and what their relationships are with one another. Yes. There are two places whose names are just words next to each other. Wuthering Heights and, and Thrushcross Crane. Yeah. That's just Pokemon battle gyms as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Um, and Mauville City. Yeah. <laughs> And, and there's Lavender new, Town. There's a new generation <laughs> of uh, Heights Granges that uh, are not related. Are related? Catherine they are related. Okay, but am I correct that there's like some? Is there going to be some Romeo and Juliet stuff going going down? If by Romeo and Juliet stuff you mean first cousins getting married to each other, then yes. I mean like star-crossed lovers, like <laughs> from people who hate each other. No, there's not. Together. No, no, there's 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 there are some elements of that, but it never gets to like Romeo and Juliet levels. So, um, you have Heathcliff and Linton, and uh, Hareton, who's kind of faded into the background, but it's kind of understood that he's been he lives at Wuthering Heights, but he's kind of been mistreated, and he's. He's he's not a factor for a while. That seems like but, his deal. It's just that he you just keep mentioning him as the guy we'll, who's we'll, over we'll come, there. We'll come back to him. Right, I guess he gets a moment, I suppose. Yeah. So and they're all over at Wuthering Heights at Thrushcross Grange. Are Nelly, our uh, narrator, uh-huh. uh, Edgar Linton, who is the dad, and then uh, Kathy. Uh, Kathy is the daughter of Edgar and Catherine. Yep. And Linton is the 
son of Heathcliff and Isabella. Are you so using are, like a whole chart right now? You have I am to like, be. I am tapping on my desk. Like I have not drawn something <laughs> out, but I'm tapping out in like a family tree structure. Like you're a like you're a kid at one of the spelling bees. Yeah, and you have your name card, and you're like spelling words on the back. Can you use it in a sentence, please? <laughs> when all right, spelling bee. We had this lady who didn't pronounce words correctly. Oh, come on, lady. You're ruining so, the B. All right. So the word T-A-N-G-Y. Tell me how you would pronounce that. Tangy. Do you want to know how she pronounced it? Uh, yeah. Tangy. No. <laughs> so tangy. She would give some kid tangy and he would be like, what is this word? This isn't a word that I know. And he would ask for it in a sentence, and she would be like, oh, the orange juice was very tangy. As in, like, slang helpful. for tangible. You can oh, really touch God. it. It's real tangy. So I think that she brought a bunch of kids down with tangy. Oh, man. Ew, no. She, that sounds like a disease. Stop saying tangy. She tangy. <laughs> brought a whole family down with you tangy. You get scurvy if you don't eat any, like, citrus. If you uh-huh. eat too much citrus, you get tangy. Yeah. <laughs> it's the it's the the disease of hawaiian kings (laughs) all right are we caught up on all of our all of our familial relations sure you're gonna yeah you're gonna keep recapping as we go i feel like just to make sure that like all none of these plates stop spinning so what happens next kathy doesn't get out a lot okay and one she she eventually starts kind of ranging a little bit further from from home and adventuring around like it, it should be noted at this point that she's a very like she's very good and virtuous okay girl like her her mom was was kind of wild and that Ooh. wildness was never really like like even though she'd stayed with the lintons and she picked up some of their mannerisms like at heart she was still wild what and does that mean kind of her she she was just a little unhinged, I guess. Like she, she didn't behave as it was appropriate for a lady to behave. I guess is the best way to put it. Did like she, she ran? Ar- she ran around in the w- wilderness. She like pitched fits and locked herself in her room. She was just. She was not. She did not behave as she was expected to behave. Okay. And that that sort of fire is not as as big an aspect of Kathy's character. Okay. Um. So, so she loves her dad and Nelly very much, and they. Why love wouldn't her. you? Like, it's a very, it's a very, it's to to this point, it is like the healthiest relationship that we've seen between any two characters. Okay. In this in this book, um, she eventually makes it over to Wuthering Heights and discovers that she has not one but two cousins over there. Yeah. Uh, she vaguely remembers Linton from like the day that he stayed with them a few years ago, but. Um, he like freshly makes their acquaintances there, and she and Linton take up a correspondence. Like her father and Nelly sort of forbid her to go over there and interact with those people because they still have no love for Heathcliff at all. Of course not, because he's been kind of a jerk this whole time. Um, and they b- because it's the ninth, the nineteen hundreds, eighteen hundreds, nineteenth century. I get it's nineteen sixty nine, the summer of love. No, that was 1967 was the summer of love. We've talked about this. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I did that again. Because it's <laughs> cool for first cousins to like be in love with and marry each other. Totally they, cool. They fancy themselves in love. Great. 
Because what else are you going to do? You don't meet anybody else. Yeah. And Kathy like starts sneaking out to Wuthering Heights when uh, Nellie and her dad are both sick. Like she tends to them during the day and then the evening she goes over there and hangs out with Linton. And Linton is kind of a wiener also. Like this this <laughs> book is full of wienerly characters. Like he's sickly. And okay. he just his character is that he complains about how sickly he is all the time. So he's not going and sneaking over to her place because that's no, because his, his sickly it, bones it, couldn't handle it. It seems like getting up and doing stuff is maybe not his forte. Okay, he would rather hang out and invent collectible card games with her in his bedroom. Yeah, I mean, I guess if he was a nerd, that's kind of what you're that. saying. Yeah, okay, cool. No, he's not a he's not a nerd. He's just like he's just sickly. He's just he's a wiener. There's a difference <laughs> between being a nerd and being a wiener. Being Please a nerd is being elaborate. A ner- being a nerd is in now. Like yeah, being a nerd true. is just like being really knowledgeable about a specific thing. Like you can be a car nerd. You can be a computer nerd. Like they're all once, all flavors of nerds. You can once, be grape. Yeah. Once someone, <laughs> once someone wrote the first op-ed about how fantasy sports is just nerds for nerddom for jocks. It's just like, Final Fantasy sports. Yeah, it's just Final Fantasy sports and nerds. That's when nerds made it because at that point, like jocks were nerds. There's no more jocks. They're versus just football nerds. nerds. They're just football nerds. It's just different kinds of nerds. We're all nerds inside. We're also all made of nerds. Come and love one another right now. <laughs> um, and then so, wieners. Wieners are like they. Wieners can be nerds, but not all nerds are wieners. Yeah, get off. A wiener the is like way. wieners are like the well actually people on the internet. You know, oh. when you say something and they're like, well, actually, it's yes. this way. Yes. I've heard of these people. I don't like them. All right. So Heathcliff does not like Linton or Kathy. Great. He doesn't really like many people. So he's not a big fan of his wiener son. But he wants his wiener son and Kathy to get married to each other. Because if they, What's if, his they, face? if they get married to each other... All right, Edgar is sickly at this point. Linton is also sickly. They wiener, are basically wiener. in a race to see who's going to die first. But Heathcliff knows if Kathy marries Linton, he become he Heathcliff becomes eventually the owner of Thrushcross Grange because Linton it will it will become Linton's property. Why does he care? Because he just wants it. Like he just is a vengeful dude. For- Okay. He just wants another cool out of the way house, I guess. There's only one other one to get. <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of so options. He, he doesn't like Linton or Kathy, but he wants Linton and Kathy to get married so Linton becomes the heir to Thrushcross Grange so that when Linton inevitably dies a week after Edgar does, which is basically what happens. He's betting he on becomes his the owner son to die. Of so that he can Grange. get another house, which is exactly what happens. Oh. Kathy and Linton get married. Kathy and Linton get married. Linton dies. Kathy, of course, does not like Heathcliff a lot because he does not go to any lengths at all to hide how much he hates everyone and everything. Okay, and then and that's how uh, that's how Lockwood comes to be the tenant of Thrushcross Grange in the first place. Because all the wieners that were living there died. Yeah, because so it's need- it's okay. it's Heathcliff's to rent out. Great. So that's why that's why he's there talking to Nellie in the first place because Heathcliff doesn't let Nellie come back to Wuthering Heights with Kathy, even though they love each other. 
Yeah, of course. She he makes her attend to Thrushcross Grange because he's, as we've established, a vengeful guy. Yeah. Okay. Whew. So how All does right. this wrap up? What happens? Uh, at some point in here, we get caught up to where Lockwood was. Okay. Cool. So I think that's like eighteen oh one is the year given in the book. Sure. Is it's it you know Linton is dead, so it's just like Catherine, Kathy, and. Heathcliff and Linton just staring at no, each other. Linton is dead. Uh, Kathy and Heathcliff and Hareton. Okay, who's still all, hanging around? Okay, and a couple of like a couple of servant people. Sure, we're all hanging out over there. And at this point, Lockwood is like, "Well, I like I rented this place from you for a year, but it's kind of a bummer up here, so I'm gonna go." So he leaves. <laughs> Okay. Then he comes back eight eight months later. He still technically has like an active lease on Thrushcross Grange. So he goes there to find Nellie and they tell whoever's there tells him that she's up at she's up at Wuthering Heights now. Um and Lockwood goes up to Wuthering Heights and he sees Kathy and this very like clean, well cut looking dude who's who's reading a book. And Kathy is very excited that he's reading a book mm-hmm. and he's like, Hmm, what's going on here? And he goes around the back and he sees Nellie there and he's like, Hey, tell me another story about what's happened since I, since I left. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He, all right. This is where Harriton comes back in to the story. Great. I've been waiting he for and, it the whole he time. And, he and Kathy are both sort of unwilling tenants of, Wuthering Heights, not okay. Wildfell Hall. That's another book. Um, and they they kind of hate each other. Like Harriton, he is from noble stock, but he has let his his like breeding go to seed. Basically, like he doesn't he doesn't know how to read. He's been taught all these awful manners by Heathcliff and the Joseph, who is this old stupid servant who has a very specific dialect to ev- that everybody like rep- replicates when they're saying oh then then joseph said this and instead I- of translating what what he said from hick to english like it's just presented <laughs> to Which, you in hick from what i understand charlotte cleaned up in the second edition it's pretty rough the, well like, but even the, apparently it was even more unintelligible in the like first you, you par- the first it, edition and it's like you know when you're learning a foreign language like Spanish or French or something and you can understand it basically but like if somebody told you to translate it literally you could really just give them the gist of it yes that's pretty much what reading Joseph's dialogue is (laughs) except he's speaking the same language as us ostensibly yeah so okay so Kathy makes fun of Harriton for not being able to read like his Earnshaw family name is is printed on things at you know in the estate of Wuthering Heights and he can't even read like his own name and she laughs at him and because he wants to impress her Harriton like learns to read his own name and he shows this to Kathy and she's like oh look how proud he is being able to read his own name idiot ugh but eventually they come they grow closer together because Harriton is is on Kathy's side. Like he's he's like so many other characters, he is not super into Heathcliff. And no, most people are not. Eventually Kathy comes to appreciate like his attempts to learn like his attempts to learn to read and to better himself and to 
lift himself from where he has fallen to where he rightfully belongs as like a, a an Earnshaw. Sure. I guess it's like the family name doesn't specifically come into it. But again, you get into this, this question of like breeding and where you're born in society and like where you belong relative to where you are. Yes, my father's father did this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and it's possible to it's possible to like raise or lower yourself based on that benchmark, but you can't like you can't jump categories. Like Heathcliff could never become a truly respected like nobleman. No, it would take a couple generations for he that can kind actually, of thing. He can act like yeah, it. Yeah. But he can't actually get there. Okay. So Kathy and Harriton have grown closer together and they are to be married. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heathcliff, meantime, all right, so so while Lockwood was staying w- at Wuthering Heights, you know, way back at the beginning of the book, he stays in a room that used to be Catherine's, mm-hmm. and he has this bad dream that Catherine is, like, outside the window trying to get in, mm-hmm. and Heathcliff hears this story from him and, and believes him because he's suddenly been haunted by Catherine's I don't know her presence like all these years like so so much of what he does is fueled by vengeance and like bitterness that basically he did not end up with Catherine the way that he wanted to okay Uh, so he starts seeing and sensing Catherine kind of everywhere and eventually like he goes without eating for four days this is a common thing is that people just like stop eating and then they die of it hunger strikes yep yeah uh-huh. and he he dies in Catherine's room like hanging out the window like he was trying to let her in or something huh and he is buried alongside her and the, the the implication is that like he's he's got a lot of rough edges but toward the very end like in those last days he's talking to Nellie and there are spots like in his childhood and then again at the very end where he is sort of made to be a sympathetic character. Okay. Like he's a jerk to a lot of people, but he's kind of a tragic jerk. Like if, if only it had been okay for him and Catherine to be together in the first place, like maybe things would have turned out differently for him. If only he had been allowed to be his wild, passionate party guy self, then... Not even it's not no I don't even I don't even think it's that it's it's just like if it were okay to be wild party guys and girls if it were okay to just be who he was like if if society would have been cool with them being who they were and marrying each other like maybe he would not have been so fueled by hate maybe he wouldn't made maybe he wouldn't have made so many people's lives so thoroughly miserable <laughs> yeah okay um. And that's so is, really that's is that really, what this book's about. Is that's that really what, the end. I mean, that's the end of the book. Is like it's it's Lockwood kind of looking at their graves and contemplating them, and then Kathy and Hareton are to be married. Great. Are they and happy I, about it? Yeah, they're both very happy about it. Like this is, it's something they chose as opposed mm-hmm. to something they were kind of being forced into by circumstance or by like there only being a limited number of eligible bachelors around. Like maybe, maybe marrying like first cousins wouldn't have been the first thing they'd have done <laughs> if they lived in the city, but they've both come to like and even respect each other. Like Kathy is obviously very enthusiastic about Harriton's his, his desire to be better than he is. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, if you're, if you're asking about the, like the point of the book or what the book has to say, 
I I want to take it back to the like nature versus nurture thing. Like I, I don't know if that's the if that's the point, but that's something that it's, it's something I noticed a lot. Okay, well it's hit like me with it. What's going on? Well, there's so there's this point during like Heathcliff's childhood where you know he's he's being given the same lessons and as ever and everything as uh, as Earnshaw's actual legitimate children. Mm-hmm. So he and Heathcliff and Hindley and Catherine are all getting this kind of the same education, but Heathcliff starts to let it go by the wayside, and it not only does it make him act poorly, but it makes him like look meaner. Like it, it changes his physical appearance in a way that is remarked upon by Nellie. Okay, which I thought was interesting, and by the, by the same token, Hareton is sort of raised by Nellie for a while because, you know, once Hindley's wife dies, he's very he's very upset and becomes kind of a crappy person <laughs> because of it. Um and then and then once Nellie leaves, Harriton, you know, he's he's got all these bad influences around and he becomes kind of a, a awful, unruly sort of almost a servant in his own home. Yeah. But then once Kathy is there, once he has good influences around, once he starts studying again and like trying to better himself not only does it make him more gentlemanly but it makes him look like more noble like he's he's more clean cut like lockwood remarks upon it when he sees hareton when he comes back after eight months is he just he looks yeah yeah of the nobleman and it's it's linked directly with him like trying to educate himself and like mentally raise himself up to the the place he was born to yeah okay and so the the story is like this there's this tragic sort of disconnect where Catherine and heathcliff are obviously cut from the same cloth and it, it even it even says like explicitly Catherine says this to nelly is that they they they're they share a soul basically like they're 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 literally made of the same material yeah i was but I was, it's it's not it's not acceptable for them to get married to each other and so they can't get what they want and because they can't get what they want it makes like half a dozen other people miserable for a couple of decades <laughs> yeah i was reading about the the romantic influences on the book because it's kind of coming after the the main thrust of the romantic movement and there's like a there's language about uh when she says like, like what you said where he is he is me or like i am heathcliff as like an expression of her passion for him that is yeah. kind of greater than even the love that you might have for someone you're married to mm-hmm. like it is this kind of soul consuming passion which is certainly not uh of the order of the day not uh particularly acceptable or run of the mill yeah yeah and, and and when you read about contemporary responses to this book like what comes up a lot is how passionate it was like it, it was so passionate that it was believable that a man wrote it it was so passionate in this reserved society that it was considered scandalous i don't think it's it was considered as scandalous as like wildfell hall was can i read you a quote real quick because it i want to see it doesn't feature like divorced people getting married to each that's other that's fair which i, I want to s- horror of horrors i know <laughs> i want to i want to see what your response to this to this scholarly uh quote is hit me um the vivid sexual passion and power of its language and, Im- and imagery impressed bewildered and appalled reviewers what what in this book is so vividly sexual 
or powerful. The word power gets bandied around a lot with this book. You really feel it when characters like Catherine or Heathcliff get thrown into a rage by something or like get throw a fit because of something like we talked before about how Catherine kind of goes into this weird trance where she seems not in control of herself and then she goes up in a room and locks herself up there and then she dies later um but is she it's, like is she like people's, people's speaking poetry off the dome like is she It's not a, even speaking a, in a, tongues? I want to I want to say speaking in tongues just because that's like how out of body or like how how out of control these people seem of their of their reactions to things sometimes. Mhm. Um yeah 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 that's it's the sexual stuff is not made super explicit. Like there are no sex scenes in this. People just are married to people, and then months later they give birth to a child. Like it's just, well, but what about it's, what it's about Heathcliff and Catherine though? Like what is what is the depth of their feelings for each other? They, I mean, they are they are so deep that Heathcliff's entire character, especially after Catherine dies, is is just is avenging i don't even it's 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 responding to like hindley and edgar like getting his comeuppance for all the ways that he thinks these characters have like wronged him specifically with respect to keeping him from catherine okay um and just yeah the 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 passion of these reactions like you're really you're really taken in by it and there's there's a there's a clear like energy and visceralness to these to the reactions that I that sticks with you even even if you're not reading sexual stuff into it which I don't I it's it's I don't think that Catherine and Heathcliff ever actually have sex with each other like maybe they do maybe I'm supposed to have understood that in their but... maybe they do in their minds like Demolition Man like they yeah. put on like the crowns <laughs> and they have like mind it's like sex an in- with Inception each other. thing or something I don't know yeah yeah uh, but well it's the 19th century so like just admitting that you have capital F feelings for someone or capital G genitals. <laughs> Ew. You can you can have normal genitals. You don't need to have capital G genitals. Those are my father's genitals. Uh, but we got away from the nature versus nurture thing. Excuse me. That's, like, I mean, I, I've made pretty much all the the points that I wanted to make about it. It's just it's it's the undercurrent that drives a lot of these characters' interactions with one another. That they are shaped by the world around them, that they are limited by the world around them. Not even that not by the people the around world them. around them, but by like the society around them. Even though there's not really a lot of society around them because they live out in the middle of nowhere. But just yeah. the, the convention the conventions of society at the time. That yeah, see for me that means that means by pairing away a town, by pairing away a city, she is getting at the heart of like how those human interactions shape people, right? Like yeah, she's right. removed the messiness of saying that this is like, and here's what London thinks, or here's what would happen if we had to have all these fancy parties, et cetera. That, that was a big thing in Rebecca actually was like what the townspeople think of this family. Like that mm-hmm. seems irrelevant to these concerns yeah. in, in Wuthering Heights. It's, it's about these two islands of a house of houses that just exist in nether England 
and <laughs> the only only real thing that you've kind of like people leave like they go off stage and they come back wearing different clothes or speaking differently and then there's that guy who has an accent from where no one likes those are those are the references to the outside world that I have gotten. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Other than Heathcliff, Heathcliff's like origin story that also no one likes. Um, and then the the only other thing I want to bring up, like as we wrap up, is how easy it is to bring down these old timey people. And I think that's it's almost comical in the book. Like you you're outside in the cold for like five minutes, and then you catch a cold and you die. Like I, it's. It's almost humorous, except then you look at the Bronte family history, yeah, and you learn just how easy it is to catch like TB or something and just get laid low by it. Like like Edgar Linton, and I, th- those are you know two separate characters, not Edgar Linton, but Edgar and Linton mm-hmm. and Hindley and uh, Mister Earnshaw. Like all, there's so many characters in these books. Even Catherine, who are killed eventually by like wasting illnesses that play out over months and months and months. Mm-hmm. That it's just like, man, like like Nellie lives to like forty five or fifty, and she's referred to as elderly. It's it's just it's a very different expectation of of how long you would be able to survive back then. I guess. Well, and and. Because of her own illnesses and the illnesses in her family, it wasn't like Emily was out in the world, like gallivanting with people who'd been through life a much different way. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think this was just kind of the norm. I was I was reading about her and the phrase stay-at-home daughter came up and it just like broke my <laughs> heart in a weird way. Because that's like what she was able to be before she, you know, was writing and getting published for her work. Um, But their whole like dream of running a school together as the Bronte sisters certainly did not happen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, But yeah, if that's if that's what happened to most of your family, I can I can see that kind of being your schema for what happens to the rest of the world. (sighs) Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that there are other families that she knew who this happened to. It's just it's. Sort of, sort of too bad because there, there's so many people who are cut down. Like, even if you're taking like 45 or 50 to be elderly, so many people who are cut down, sort yeah. of in their prime. Like she yeah. died at 30, and I turned 30 like oh, a week ago. So yeah, happy birthday by the way. Thanks. Um, we don't need but, to talk about it. No, that's totally fine. <laughs> uh, we didn't really linger on like the ghost stuff in this book there was really it's really not super important like it comes up at the beginning it comes up at the end and it's not important for the rest of it and i okay. I, I don't want to like open a whole new avenue of conversation because no we're... no i'm kind of running down some of the stuff that we did not talk about in case yeah. anybody wanted to write in about it uh there's like the ghost stuff there's its place as like a gothic and romantic novel mm-hmm. um i found in referencing D earlier i didn't mention that i also found some weird totally inappropriate role-playing game based on this book don't go Google yeah that, i also don't do found that, that. Oh, don't do it oh it's the worst no. um we'll probably this, link it we can link it on facebook this i week know i don't even want anybody to find it um i've got a bunch of dice over here we can play like the is it on the it. i'm D20 not rolling system, 2d10 or? for my age or whatever it is <laughs> I think there's like a despair score. <laughs> there's a there's roll. a despair score and an age score. I can't even. Um, <laughs> if you have played Wuthering Heights, the role playing game, The Awakening, 
electric boogaloo you can uh re- share your experiences with us at overduepod at gmail.com i want to thank nick who wrote in response uh to a recent episode excited that we we're going to read weathering heights and expressing his own dismay that he had upon reading it uh that there were not as many ghosts so that might be your response let us know on twitter.com slash overdue pod or facebook.com slash overdue pod i have a whole bunch of people i want to thank including cameron albi tysphine michael christine jacqueline blonde at the film tessa sarah granola susan margaret sophie <laughs> rebecca tegan from the philly Podfest, uh kara aj nicola and meredith uh, all of whom reached out to us on social media this week. If people don't like social media, but they like websites, Andrew, where should they go? They can go to overduepodcast.com. That is where we have links to iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, all the places that you can subscribe to the show. You get new episodes as soon as they drop every Monday. Um, if you subscribe in iTunes especially, do rate and review us. We've been getting a bunch of those in the last uh, week or so, so we're really grateful for all those. Those help us rise in the rankings and help people find the show. Um, we have links to the Amazon. We have Amazon links to the books that we have read and that we are going to read. We have a link to our Patreon project, which is a way you can support us financially. That keeps us in hosting and in book costs and in a whole bunch of other things. Um, and we've also got links to Spreaker, our podcast host. Thank you to them for uh, letting you guys all download the show. And to HeadGum, our podcast network, uh, which we share with shows like Gilmore Guys and... Uh, if I were you with Jake and Amir and a whole bunch of other shows you should go check out. Um, Craig, the last thing that we want to hit as we do the post-show rundown is that book riot live is nearly upon us. Is that, that's right, right? <laughs> you are correct. Am sir. I, am I incorrect? And in on assuming? November 7th and 8th of 2015, if you are in New York city, New York, uh, state, state, one oh one eight, and you're hanging out with Stick Stickly, and you're looking for something to do. You should head over to Metropolitan West in the Hell's Kitchen area and uh, take part in the Book Riot Live Festival. Um, we will be moderating a panel on lo-fi and DIY storytelling with author Sally Slater, uh, author Sarah McCary, and uh, Wendy Zhu, uh, who is an illustrator and comics artist. We're going to be talking about kind of alternative storytelling platforms and like web podcasts. comics. And, you know, like podcasts. Uh, but we're mostly going to talk about what these ladies are up to because they are all pretty cool. Right. And then uh, and we are also going to be it's it's kind of an informal sort of meetup thing. It's just Craig and I are going to be at a bar. And if you want to come and drink <laughs> with us, you should do that. Uh, we are going to be at the Pony Bar on 10th Avenue. Uh, starting around 5 p.m. on Saturday, November 7th. Uh, The Pony Bar is a great place to drink if you like beer. I've been there several times. They have a very good selection. I drank bacon beer there once. Okay. Or like ham beer. It was weird, but it was good. So come do that. There were a lot of question marks in that sentence. I feel like the bacon beer messed with your brain. Mm. (laughs) But again, that's, that's the Pony Bar. On 10th Avenue, right around the corner from Metropolitan West. We will be there at 5 p.m. on Saturday, November 7th. Uh, there may also be some other podcast slash internet personalities there with us. Uh, and then our will... panel is 10 a.m. on November 8th, yes, the Sunday. On Sunday. So come get drunk with us, go to sleep, <laughs> and then wake up and come be hungover with us on our panel. It'll be a great time. You go to Book Riot live.com for more info if the code still works uh check it check out with the code overdue and you'll get 20 bucks off uh we hope we see you there yeah 
All right, everybody. Uh, Craig, what are you reading next week? I am reading The Last of the Wine by Mary Renault. It was suggested Ugh, by one of our... That's a story about a party, right? Yeah, it's definitely all uh, about parties. I'm on parties. the last of the wine. Uh, all the uh, liquor stores are closed. Oh, my God. Why do we <laughs> do this show? Uh, it was suggested by one of our lovely Patreon donors. Uh, and as Andrew mentioned before, if you go to patreon.com slash overdue pod and pledge your continued support to the show, you may be able to kick a recommendation to the top of the pile. Uh, as we will do for next week. Yes, and we'll also be releasing the bonus episode we recorded about ghost stories and urban legends later this week. So we had a lot of fun recording that. We hope you have fun listening oh to it. It was kind of silly, but... It's very silly. It was fun. Okay, everybody. Until then, thank you so much for listening, and try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.